Century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, taken deep mid wicket. Glenn Maxwell celebrates for it. Cole, he cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. I'm Dean Duplessis. And in this week, we are on this podcast, should I say, we're going to be catching up with a man who I've worked with very closely for the last, oh gosh, couple of years, predominantly in the media centers of Harare Sports Club and Queen's Sports Club down in Bulawayo. But we've also shared a couple of glasses of wine and a fair amount of uh, beverages as well as we talk cricket. I'm referring to a freelance journalist who's made massive waves over the last couple of years with a combination of investigative journalism, some truly hard-hitting reports. In fact, the last uh, magnificent piece that he wrote was all about one of Zimbabwe's very talented young batsmen, Trevor Madondo. I am referring to Liam Brickhill. Liam, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Dean, hello. Thank you so much for for inviting me on. And I must say that's uh, that's quite a, quite an intro you've given me. Thank you. I'm I'm flattered. <laughs> uh, I promise you, you're worth every every word. It's a, a real joy and a pleasure to be talking to you. So, what have you? We're going to be talking cricket just now. But um, what have you been up to of late? Because you've actually just um, made it public and made it known that you made a, a film. Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, you know, we're living in kind of strange times um, for for everyone around the world and and for sports journalists. Um, so there's been uh, definitely not as much um, in the way of uh, cricket writing coming my way in the last kind of eighteen months under uh, you know with the the, the pandemic. Um, so what, you know, one one tries to stay busy however one can, um, and I've 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 long had an interest in. Um, other ways of of being creative and in in getting messages across. Um, essentially, I've always been a storyteller. Cricket writing is one way it comes out. Um, another way is in uh, well, hopefully uh, in short in short film. So uh, uh, I'm I together with um, Anal Vessels, who is a cinematographer, and uh, Edgar Bira, a um, Bira player from. Zimbabwe and Ralph Louis Schmidt from Iswatini from Swaziland. Uh, we all work together on this short film, which we're trying to put into uh, festivals. It's an interesting little sideline, not very crickety, although I, I must say that there are a couple of shots from cricket matches in there. So you, right, can, right. you can take the cricket writer out of the stadium, but... Uh, uh, how does that go? You know what um, I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, that's a tricky one, actually. You can take the the cricket writer out of the stadium, but you can't take the stadium out of the cricket writer. Would that make some, some something like that? Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, what is the name of the film, and, and what is it all about? I listened to the trailer the other day, but unfortunately, it didn't really help me much because there was a beautiful music playing, but there was no talking or anything like that. So, I, I didn't really know what it was actually portraying as such. Mm, yeah, the, the film's name is uh, is Petrichor, which, uh, as you know, is the name for uh, the smell, uh, the, the smell of rain, essentially. Yes. Um, and it's uh, it's a different sort of a film. Um, 
I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, to be honest with you, uh, apart from to say that uh, you're it's 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 like the difference between prose and, and poetry. So um, it's it's a non-linear film. It's a collection of images, each one, uh, you know, uh, building on the last um, uh, kind of a, a sensory exploration of, of Zimbabwe. So I've used uh, those images as well as in, in the film itself. Yes. Those those images as well as. Uh, uh, field recordings of you know sounds of central Harare in, in the in very early in the morning when people are arriving to work, uh, little dinner parties at at home, um, voice notes people have sent me on the phone, uh, some historical recordings from Zimbabwean history, and and all the and you know putting all these things into kind of a, a poetic sensory experience. That I've called called a short film. I'm, I haven't seen another short film like this one, and it's my first, so I'm not sure if it makes sense. But it seems to have been getting some some positive feedback. It's it's been in a few festivals now, including one in, in Zimbabwe, which I was very proud that the the very first film festival it got to was at home. Yeah, I know that makes huge amounts of sense. And how, how do we watch this? If we if we would like to, somebody's listened to the podcast and they're really keen to watch it. How do they go about it? Well, at at the moment for the for the next week, uh, actually, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out. Um, so <laughs> this might not be correct information by the time it does. But at, at the time of to, of talking, it's it's actually in a festival called uh, the Liftoff uh, First Time Filmmakers Session. Okay. Um, so it's viewable only through their platform uh, until the first of March. Um, after the first of March. Um, it's going to be, well, we're trying to send it to as many festivals as possible. Um, so for the moment, it's, it's, it's viewable on uh, uh, Vimeo. But, you know, what? Tell, tell, tell your listeners they can just contact me on, on social media and I'll, I'll send them uh, in the right direction. Yeah, because it's going to be at fair. different events and different festivals and on different platforms. Right. Uh, so right. The, best way to, the best way to watch it is to find me and ask me. Right. Liam, you, you have quite a, a remarkable family. Um, one thing I've discovered in, in the people who I've met in your family and even the, uh, the, closer, the people very close to your family who you regard as family is that it is a very tight but at the same time very caring family. J just tell us a bit about... Tell us a bit about the, the you know, because the, there's a lot of people who've made contributions to Zimbabwe in so many ways, aren't they? In, in, yeah, thank you, thank you. That's 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 very kind of you to say. Um, yeah, I guess uh, if if someone were to meet me and and you know they think how how did this guy turn out like this? A good way of, of understanding that is uh, is with a bit of of light family history, um, and it's it's true as you say. Like uh, uh, we are we're a tight knit family, a close family, and. Um, Perhaps something uh, a little, a little out of the ordinary, mm -hmm. um, but but certainly in terms of um, you know my roots as a writer and as a journalist and the and the desire to to write is definitely something that that comes from my family. You know, my, my mother is a writer. Um, she writes uh, short stories. She's been published in in in, in various anthologies, including um, as a a set work for. Uh, I believe it's um, 
I believe it's high school students in Zimbabwe are reading her story, right. which is great. But but beyond that, you know, my parents were both booksellers and publishers. They 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 worked in a bookshop. That's why I spent my formative years kind of running around the aisles of this this bookshop in town in Harare. Um, my and my grandparents um, on my dad's side were both journalists as well. Wow. Um, so it's so it's a long it's a long kind of uh, uh, family history. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, if you if you'd like to hear more. There, there are more. If you shake my family tree, all sorts of weird <laughs> things will fall out that I could tell you about. Um, I, I think it's very, very uh, interesting to to hear. I mean, I, I also know that, um, for example, you know, back in when Zimbabwe were fighting for their independence, um, your father was not at all keen in in joining up with the, you know, sort of going to the army, I suppose, and so to speak. Is that is that correct? Yes, yes, indeed. And in fact, it was my uncle Jeremy who was who was the first one. Um, he, in, in 1974, um, skipped the country and went first to Mozambique, um, and then to, he ended up in in Zambia, um, in in Lusaka, and enrolled in Zipra, uh, reporting to uh, d- working directly under Dumiso Dabengua. Uh, I'm sure many of your your listeners would have heard of. Um, my dad was a little younger, so. Um, about a, a year later, he he followed Jeremy. Um, he, yeah, he as you say, he wasn't he wasn't keen on on doing military service. Um, and and both the, both the boys had been raised um, raised to think differently or to question things, if I can put it that way. Right. Um, so they both ended up in in Zipra um, in military intelligence. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, my grandmother Jean. Uh, was also ultimately enlisted by Zipra, um, although she stayed in, in Rhodesia. But she made contact with the boys where they'd gone, and uh, also in her in her small way um, tried to contribute to to change in Zimbabwe. My gosh, what a remarkable story! That is just unbelievable. Because I'd heard about this, and you know, I knew that one day when I interviewed you, I had to I had to just find out a bit more. But um, so how did you then discover cricket, Liam? Where did, did cricket find you? Did you stumble across cricket? Um, I mean, everybody knows my story that I found cricket on a radio station. Uh, how is, what's your story? How did you fall in love with this game who can treat us so badly, but at the same time also uh, be such a good friend to us? Well, through, through, my, through my father, basically, who, um, you know, my dad was uh, um, a bit of a radical um, a bookseller. He was a jazz saxophonist um, and ran ran a music venue in town. But he was a man of, of broad tastes, if I can put it that way. And cricket was definitely um, something something that he loved. But I'm, I must admit that it took me a while to um, to see the, the the beauty in this game. When I was young, cricket. Sorry that's okay. That. That's all right. A bit of a um, vibration there. That's nice. All part of the st- all of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> all part of the ambiance. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it took it took me a while to uh, to cut to find cricket really. Um, when I was when I was uh, a younger kind of preteen, even up to my early teens, um, cricket really didn't didn't interest me. Although my dad was into it and he tried to get me into it. 
But uh, it's, it just so happened um, at the 1999 World Cup, we were at a, a do at a friend's house and the, and the cricket happened to be on TV. Um, and Zimbabwe were playing India. And I was kind of half watching it, bit bored, not really interested. And uh, then uh, Henry Alonga came on at the very end and took a wicket. And my dad called me over and he, and he just said, Liam, come and watch this. You know, something, something's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I saw Henry Alonga's three wickets in an over to win a game that Zimbabwe had uh, very little chance of, of salvaging anything from. And I thought, well, actually, there is, there is something here. Um, and kind of from that moment, um, never really looked back. But it's very much a family thing. My, all my, my family are into, are into cricket. We have a, a traditional Boxing Day cricket match where we, we gather as, ma- as many of the family members as we can. People even come from overseas sometimes and uh, all play cricket together somewhere. Uh, this 1999 World Cup, I'm amazed at how many people it's influenced that I've spoken to. So to me, the 1992 World Cup, that was a clincher. That got me totally hooked. Uh, but but I'm mm. just amazed at, I suppose, <clears throat> a couple of things. One was that there was a considerably more coverage of the 1999 World Cup you know, on the various satellite networks that you could watch it. Even, even local TV actually carried it, I remember. Um, and... The, the second and most important thing was that Zimbabwe actually had the best World Cup ever from from their perspective. And the memories, even though a lot of people were very young, twenty it's coming up to 21 years, 22 years ago now. And yet, I'm sure, despite the fact that it was 22 years ago, there's so many features of that World Cup, especially from a Zimbabwean perspective, that you will never, ever forget. Gosh, 22 years, you make me feel old, Dean. Um, but but it's, it's, you're absolutely right. There, you know, um, as you say, there were, there were a few different factors that came together. Um, it was definitely the first World Cup I'd, I'd seen televised. And as you say, it was on, on, it was on local terrestrial television. I'm sure that had a, uh, a huge part to play. Yeah. And also, of course, the results that Zimbabwe got. Yeah. Um, I think before that, you know, people... Zim fans uh, knew that we knew that we could compete, uh, but but now here's a here was a team um, performing on the biggest stage, you know, playing playing at, at you know Lords and uh, you know Chelmsford, all these English grounds, and and doing well, and beating teams, beating South Africa, beating India. Um, yeah, it was. It's a, you know, many people have said it. It was the high watermark of. Uh, Zimbabwean cricket, um, and I can certainly see the, the, you know, the the sentiment behind that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to think of it slightly differently, though, that it was the high watermark of a certain era of Zimbabwean cricket, which is not to lessen that achievement. It is a, it's an amazing achievement. What Zimbabwe achieved in the '90s for such a small team is astounding. It's astounding, um, but I don't like to. I don't like to put a full stop after that. Um, I like to, to remain open to the possibility that uh, Zimbabwe can continue to achieve um, in, 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 in the current setting and in the future, hopefully. Um, and, you know, uh, that the story is not, is not over. No, no. 
Um, do you know, it's funny you should talk about the high watermark and, and so on, but what I then started to discover, probably from the early, two, just before the 2003 World Cup, so after the 1999 World Cup, leading up to the 2003 World Cup, which of course was played in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Kenya, um, is that the one day my, my late father and I went into town. I, I don't even recall. Oh, yes, it was, there was a, a very popular bus terminus that I was traveling uh, to from. And the next thing my father said, we're watching the most incredible thing happening here. We, we're watching a slightly younger man teach an older man how to play the reverse sweep. And it seems to me like they're using a watermelon. Um, which, which was just, it's, it's such an, and you know, we were, we just stopped in amazement. So you had Tatenda Taibu, who was very young, but was beginning to make his mark. Um, but then you had Andy Flower, who of course was at the very top of his game. So we, I, it's no secret that, that Andy Flower thought that Tatenda Taibu was the only cricketer who actually really listened to what he had to say. And Tatenda Taibu is just, speaks equally um, as highly of, of Andy Flower. So, you know, this combination, it was like a flower type of combination of, of teaching each other how to play the reverse sweep. And, you know, we, we said to ourselves, cricket now finally is beginning to actually, thanks to the television coverage and, and a whole bunch of, of things, is now finally beginning to do what it's supposed to do, and that's to be appreciated by the majority of Zimbabweans. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, I, I think it's important as we um, as we remember things like this, and as we look back on what is now becoming the slightly more distant past of, uh, of Zimbabwean cricket, those those heady times of the late '90s and early 2000s, um, to recognise um, you know the the good, really great work that that was being done. Uh, by the administrators in in spreading the game, and 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 these things, you know, they they go back even earlier than than that. Um, you know, one of the godfathers of of Zimbabwean cricket, Lazarus Dijo, was working from 1986. So yes. even from the yes. from yes. the 1980s, uh, the ZCU as it was then was looking to to expand the game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I had similar experiences around around that time. I uh, I covered the 2003 uh, uh, Cricket World Cup as a as a rookie journalist. Um, I was very raw and green, and uh, um, but it, it it was amazing to see, uh, you know, to see cricket being played everywhere in in Zimbabwe. It was really it was really heartening, and I honestly feel that if uh, if you know, if, if history hadn't stepped in, and if and if you know the various socio-political and economic woes hadn't hadn't hobbled uh, Zimbabwe in the kind of interceding twenty years or so, uh, that there would be extremely strong cricket team in Zimbabwe. Not not to not to say that that that's not what we. We have right now. No, no, but I understand but what you're saying. The, the groundwork was there for that. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, and and you can talk to any one of the of the cricketers, former, current, whatever. You know, if, if they had been uh, introduced naturally to the various progressions of 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 the game, it, it probably would have gone a lot better. You know, so um, I, I remember talking and having a chat with Heath Streak, and and he was saying. 
Wouldn't it have been a very nice thing if in the 2007 World Cup, which was the one in the West Indies, where Street could still, and, and a couple of the older players could still have been playing the game, but now would have handed over the leadership to Tatenda Taibu then, as opposed to the, the way that things happened in 2004, where it was all very forced and rushed. And I mean, ultimately, the, that, that's what the majority of Zimbabwe cricket lovers would have wanted, but it just didn't happen correctly, which has unfortunately left quite a few scars in Zimbabwe cricket. But had that transition happened naturally, you know, where an Alton Chikumbura could have not, would not have been forced to have bowled as many overs as he did, and so therefore suffered one stress fracture after another, you know, a lot of the younger players would have gone through the various correct phases and stages of playing cricket, and you, you would have had his streak and Tanashi Panyangara opening the bowling. I mean, that when Tanashi Panyangara was, was, was at his fittest and at his best, that opening combination, two guys bowling in a high 130 kilometers an hour, swinging the ball away, yeah, it would have been wonderful from a, from a Zimbabwe perspective, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that highlights um, something that is, that is very important to, to um, uh, cricket in, in the long term in a setting like Zimbabwe is the need for continuity and the, and the need for mentors and mentorship. Um, in the introduction to this, um, to this podcast, you, you, you mentioned the uh, Trevor Madondo story that yeah. I mm. wrote uh, recently, and I think that's that's you know it's all it's all laid very bare and very stark there, just how um, how vital uh, these sorts of structures are, uh, you know these 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 structures of, of mentorship and skill sharing and um, you know support for for young cricketers, um, and absolutely I'm sure. I mean, someone someone should write about it. You know, the the uh, the experiences of this generation of of Zimbabwean cricket who are, of Zimbabwean cricketers who are now kind of retiring and moving on. You know, Chig Chigumbura's uh, retired, Masakadza's retired, Taylor's there and thereabouts. Mm -hmm. But you know, towards the end, Vusi uh, uh, Sibanda is is kind of moving towards commentary, but still playing. Uh, Tina Mawoyo moving towards commentary, uh, possibly say uh, coaching. But you know, these 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 guys were all kind of the nucleus of that young team who were just thrown in the deep end. And and you know, there's 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 need for. You know, it can be frustrating frustrating at times as a as a Zimbabwean. And as a cricket journalist and as a Zimbabwe cricket fan, um, to to hear the way that people speak about um, Zimbabwean cricket as uh, without without telling the full story, um, yeah. you know, people to always talk about the way that the results dipped in the mid two thousands and Zimbabwe had test status suspended. And, you know, those things did happen. The results were not there. The team was struggling. But we need to see these things in, in their context, you know. Uh, you take, take 11, 19-year-olds from any country, anywhere in the world, and, and make them a test team and, and see how they do. You know, it's, it's not something that should reflect so poorly on Zimbabwe. It's a, it's a matter of, of context. I, I think in many situations, Liam, what you would have found, though, is that, you know, in the cricketing, the, the bigger cricket, the, the bigger nations, so to speak, the, the stronger, the richer cricketing nations, is that a lot of the 19-year-olds 
Well, it depends, but uh, a majority of them would have played a lot more club cricket, especially, and uh, and then also mm. first-class cricket. So although the transition would still, in my opinion, have been a bit too much for them to handle, and I totally agree with you. You know, you may find, you know, that um, they, they would have rubbed shoulders with some of the, the older senior players, not just in the nets, but in proper match situations, be it first-class or, or club level, which may, may have made a, a difference as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, but you, you know, also, uh, hopefully, that's only something that Zimbabwe will only have to go through once. What I really hope with yeah. this generation that I just mentioned, a lot of them kind of moving out of playing now, is that they are not lost uh, completely. That th that a way is found to keep as many of uh, of that generation in the system, so that so that we can learn from um, mistakes of the past, and so that that mentorship and that structure remains in Zimbabwe and we don't have to do it all again. Rectify the mistakes and work, work towards a, a better future, so to speak. Um, I, I want to talk about the Trevor Madondo story, Liam. That, in my opinion, is probably the best story. I mean, you are a storyteller, as you've alluded to, so writing these stories probably isn't the, you know, well, I'm sure it, it, it must have taken you, when you write a good story, a lot of hard work goes into it. Um, this is probably the best thing that I've ever, uh, the, in my opinion, it's the best story that you've ever written. It, it is truly breathtaking. Um, you know, you had me completely captivated and spellbound as soon as we, st as soon as I started listening to your your report. How did that come about? Tell us about how you came up with the what made what triggered the idea of thinking of Trevor Madondo, and how did it all then come together in this magnificent way that you? I mean, th that was an innings of Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara, Virat Kohli quality. Gosh, thank you. Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you to say so. Um, well, to, to, to talk about how it all came about, um, I was, you know, I'm at a bit of a loose end at the moment, or at the time I uh, started writing, I was, um, and, and, you know, but, but wanting to keep writing. Um, and looking for for stories in Zimbabwean cricket, even if the team is not playing, what 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 stories are there to write about? And and I thought of Trevor Madondo, and you know something something I realized is that um, around the cricketing world, and and even in Zimbabwe, many people are aware of that name, or were aware of that name, yeah. and knew that this was a young cricketer who died. Um, and I. So, so, so my thinking was, well, okay, we know he was a young cricketer who died, but what about the story of how he lived? Yes, um, yes. Let's, you know, his, the fact that he died young is an inescapable part of that story, but there's, there's so much more to tell. So that was my motivation to kind of, and, and to go back to, to, you know, to his, to his roots, where was he born? What were his parents doing? Uh, you know, what was his junior schooling like? To, 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 to tell the whole story of this, um, this, this young Zimbabwean who, who broke new ground and who was a, a real pioneer um, in, a, in a sense. Um, and, and, and to not let him be defined by the fact that he died young and to celebrate his life at the same time. Wow. How long did it take you to do this? Um, it's, it was a good, 
kind of um, six weeks to two months there and thereabouts. And to, to be honest with you, <clears throat> the the writing is the easy part. Um, the 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 more the much more work was put into. Uh, research, uh, yeah. um, not only of Trevor's life, but of the context of the different eras in Zimbabwe, what was happening, and interviews. Um, so I tried to cast about for as many people as possible um, who I could find who would have known Trevor uh, uh, fairly well. So, you know, friends from junior school and high school, uh, friends from uh, his club club cricket days, his old high school uh, cricket coach. There's even a few lines in there from Dave Houghton, who was obviously his yes. first coach at national yes. level. Yes. Um, so that's that's where the bulk of the the kind of the the uh, the, the real like uh, kind of slog work um, came into it. But it's you know it's a it was a very it was a um, I felt I felt a certain weight of responsibility. You know, when you're writing about someone who has passed on, um, they that that person ca- cannot respond to you. Um, so I think as a writer, it's very important that you try and do justice to things as they were, that the life as it was, um, and really to respect the the memory of that person without trying to without being. Uh, patronizing or, or, or over overly romanticizing anything I think that's a that's a also a mark of respect for another person that um, you let them be complex uh, conflicted and difficult characters because that's what it means to be human what, what I what I really loved as well is that you you didn't try and sugarcoat anything but you didn't try and malign him or sort of badmouth him or, or trash him you know so you had this wonderful combination of of telling a story about an exceptional talent. I mean, my my brother Gary played against Trevor on a couple of occasions, and you know he he came back and obviously I couldn't see his facial expression, but I would just imagine his eyes being wide and saying, you know, we just played against the guy. His name is Trevor, and at first they didn't even know his surname. They just knew him as Trevor, and then then he could report back and say, Trevor Madondo. I played against the guy called Trevor Madondo, and some of the shots this guy played were just outrageous, you know, and. But, but there was always that because he wasn't really able to convert those starts into scores of real significance. So he would score a, a very pretty 50 or a sexy 60 or an aggressive 80, um, but unfortunately he wouldn't get the, the 120 or 130 that was, that was required. But, you know, just the awe in, in my brother's voice and the way in which he spoke about Trevor was we, we knew that hopefully there was somebody who was going to develop into a, a, a superstar that Zimbabwe needed to take over from your, your, your Dave Houghton, your Andy Flower, your Murray Goodwin and Neil Johnson. And, and, and more importantly, let's be honest, that it would actually be a black cricketer because that then in turn would, uh, in turn would encourage more and more black cricketers to, to want to play because they'd have a, a, an icon and a hero to look up to, Liam. Absolutely. Um, I must. I must tell you, Dean, that actually, when I was researching the story um, and and looking for old scorecards that uh, uh, from from various different games Trevor Madondo had played in, I did find your brother's name ah. on, <laughs> on on some of these scorecards, and it yeah, it did, um, it did make me smile. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and absolutely to 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 uh, go go back to your point as as to the role that that um, uh, that Trevor might have played as, as a leadership 
um, figure. Interestingly, many pe- many of the people I spoke to, um, you know, you know, we we can't know what exactly would have happened in in Trevor's life, but yeah. many people were of the opinion that he had great uh, leadership potential, and that he that he probably um, would have been um, captain ahead of someone like uh, Tatenda Taibu. Yes. Yeah. If history had taken the same course and, and you know, there had been that massive change in Zimbabwean cricket in 2004 and um, assuming Trevor would have remained in the game, I honestly do believe that, that uh, he would have been um, a, a really good leader. And that also, you know, at the time of, you know, he, he was so young when he passed. 24 is, is really young and he was only just beginning to get to know who he was, both as a person and as a cricketer. And I also do honestly believe that, you know, as you mentioned, he he was known as someone who obviously had talent, but would make a pretty 30-40 and then find a way to get himself out. And I think those big scores would have come. I, I, I really do. Yes, they would have. Uh, I mean, you look at someone like Dave Houghton, for example, um, you know, where he was very frustrating, where he would get one anything between 40 and 75 on a regular basis when he still played in what was known as the Curry Cup, now the, uh, you know, the South African four-day challenge. And he, he was probably only about 30 when, when he started to actually discover mm. himself and his game. And, you know, it's, it, Dave Houghton is a remarkable story as well because, you know, in, when he was Zimbabwe, didn't have first-class status. So by the time he actually made his test debut at the age of 35, you know, Zimbabwe were only able to play. Um, so none of none of their none of their first class, their provincial games had first class status. So it would be the county sides, and they would send very strong county sides out here with England because it's the pre-season. You know, so you'd have the strongest possible available team. So I mean, Dave Houghton had scored something in the region of 16 first class hundreds um, by the time he made his his debut at the age of 35. I mean. That is remarkable, isn't it, to, to hear such a story, given the fact that they would only have played a handful of first-class games per season to have scored so many hundreds in that short space of time. Absolutely, absolutely. And Dave Houghton, you know, there, there, there are so many of these, um, and, I, and I know, you know, between you and me, we're kind of preaching to the converted here. We're, <laughs> we're both obviously very much into Zimbabwean cricket. Yeah. But there are, there are so many interesting characters. Yeah. There are so many... Uh, great stories to be told in, Z- in Zimbabwean cricket. We talk of Trevor Madondo, we talk of Dave Houghton. You know, um, here was a guy as well who is something I, I love about Zimbabwean cricket is this kind of spirit of, and it's something in Zimbabwean society for better or worse as well. This the spirit of um, inventiveness, ingenuity, resourcefulness. Dave Houghton was playing the reverse sweep in the early 1980s yes, when it was a very rare shot to see, be seen played anywhere. Douglas Marillia was was uh, scooping the likes of Zahir Khan and uh, Glenn McGrath back over the keeper's head a good five, six years before anyone else yep. was was yep. doing it. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are so many of these, these, these great little stories and, um, and characters in Zimbabwean cricket. And uh, it's very important to me as a, as a writer to, to celebrate all of them um, in, in, in their own right. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I treasure I treasure all of these 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 little stories and these these characters equally. 
You know, one one player who I also who also had a wonderful time of it in that, and I, you and I may actually have been together, Liam. Do you remember that triangular series? The good in the good old days when you still had fifty over triangular series before T Twenty blew everything out of the water. But um, <laughs> when Australia and South Africa were, were here in Zimbabwe, and we had the tri series, and Prosper Sayer, who did two things in that particular in that same series when he when he slogs slogged uh, Mitchell Stark over the leg side to win a game against Australia. And in the hat-trick that he took, admittedly Zimbabwe was soundly beaten, but he took a hat-trick against, I'm sure, South Africa in that same series. I mean, th those are stories that people kind of sort of put by the wayside and don't really remember. Absolutely. I, I remember, I absolutely remember this, the, the series you're talking about uh, very well. I even remember Prosper would say as, uh, after he got his hat-trick, he... I think I even might have described it in, in this in this way in the piece I wrote, but he, he dropped onto the ground, onto his back, and had his arms and legs in there, and he was celebrating like an upturned uh, dung beetle. Um, <laughs> I believe it was, uh, there were definitely two left-handers in the in the hat-trick, Dumini, maybe Miller, uh, yeah. possibly another one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, Dumini, Miller, I'm, it wouldn't have been Riley Rousseau, but um, it was, anyway, it was, as you rightly say. I mean, Prosper was so good to the left-handers, wasn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I, I think there's a certain uh, beauty and a certain poetry in the fact that uh, the two to the two men to have taken <clears throat> ODI hat-tricks for, uh, for Zimbabwe, Edo Brandes and Prosper Utsaya, couldn't possibly be more different in, in, in looks, in bowling styles, in <laughs> stature. Um, but there they are you know, both, both doing something great for Zimbabwe. That's that. And that's beautiful for me. Absolutely. The fact that, you know, that to celebrate uh, both of them, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's something, uh, very Zimbabwean, I think. I, I wasn't at the ground when Edo got his hat trick. I was listening to it on TV, but the ground was so full that, uh, we were turned away when we got to the gates. So I couldn't get into the ground and, and the game hadn't even started yet. That was the annoying thing, Liam, you know, um, with the game hadn't started, we, we knew that, uh, um, Mike Atherton had won the toss and, and elected to bowl. Uh, we got to the ground and we couldn't get in. The ground was full already at before 9.30 and the ground was full to capacity. So I had to go back home. I was very disappointed. Probably had a bit of a sulk going on. But uh, anyway, I could listen to the TV and I remember Zimbabwe batting first and making 249 for seven in their 50 overs, half centuries for Grant Flower and Alistair Campbell and uh, Andy Flower playing the finishing touches, and then along comes Edo Brandis and takes five for 28 in his 10 overs. Am I right in saying, and this is just off the top of my head, am I right in saying that Edo and Prosper's figures, when, when Prosper got the hat trick, that they were the same, five for 28 apiece? Gosh, that would be fascinating if, if it's true. I'm, I'm not sure about that. And perhaps your, your listeners can, yeah. uh, can look it up and let, let us know. That would be amazing, though, if it, was, if it was true. Well, it was very similar. Let's put it this way. It was very, very similar yeah. you know, um, style of, yeah. of... So now, Liam, uh, Zimbabwe are going to be playing Afghanistan in an eagerly anticipated two-test match series, which gets underway in early March. Um, Afghanistan have made massive strides in, in what they've done. Predominantly, we see their players feature in T20 leagues around the world, which is still very special. I mean, you know, it's no secret that Afghanistan have an incredible story to tell. Um, Zimbabwe, unfortunately, have a setback. They don't have Brendan Taylor nor Craig Irvin, who 
when they decide not to play reverse sweeps and, and bat sensibly are very, very crucial for, for, for the success of Zimbabwe because they play spin very well. They're sensible cricketers. They know when to up the game and when to um, consolidate. So it's a loss, but I guess what happens now is this is a perfect and ideal opportunity for two batsmen, be they slightly younger or fringe uh, batsmen, to really step in or step up to the plate, so to speak, and, and, and fill that void. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a, a couple of things um, I'd like to say about that. Um, the, the one is that uh, I honestly believe that uh, Brendan Taylor, um, when he does eventually retire, um, could and should be uh, spoken of as being in the same league and perhaps even uh, surpassing uh, the likes of Andy and Grant Flower. I honestly believe that Taylor is 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 quite possibly the best Zimbabwe I've ever had. Um, and if you look at his record and the circumstances in which he's made those runs, I think there's 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 a case to be made for that. But but for sure, to um to come back to the series at hand, uh, Taylor's absence is a is a is a big blow. But as you say, it does open up and and Irvine as well. Um, but it does open up these these middle order slots, which is something that Zimbabwe have have obviously got got to look at. It's inevitable, um, and I I, re- I really like the look of, um, of 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 some of these youngsters who who are coming in now. Obviously, Wesley Madavere has just wow. slotted straight into international cricket, like he's like he's been playing it all his life, and that's amazing to see. Um, but I also really like the way that. Uh, Ryan Bull has has developed his game, kind of expanded his repertoire of shots, and that he's um, you know definitely. I think we can talk of him not only as 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 a batsman these days, but as a very decent leg uh, leggy, yeah. a leg spin bowler. And I'm I'm a sucker for a for oh, a leg spin. So am I. I Don't worry. I, I think every too. team should have at least one or two. I agree. Especially Zimbabwe. Totally agree. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting series. Um, Afghanistan, as you say, their, their rise has been meteoric. And uh, as you mentioned that, I was remembering something that uh, Sikandar Raza said to me a good few years ago, um, before Afghanistan had really made uh, the splash that they've made, before Rashid Khan and Mohammed Nabi uh, were, were playing in leagues around the world. He just said, Liam, you just keep an eye on this team because they are going, they're going places. They're, they're honestly going to be um, a big team and a great team. So just, just, just watch this space. And uh, it's absolutely come to pass just as, just as he said it would. Yeah. I think Afghanistan present a major challenge to Zimbabwe, especially in the conditions that we're likely to find where they're playing, where spin and reverse swing are likely to to be to be major factors, and in that regard, I do hope. I mean, I mentioned leg spin earlier. I really do hope that uh, Zimbabwe play at least one uh, leg spin. I think it's going to be vital to success. So it's interesting the makeup of the of the two teams. I, I see Afghanistan have opted uh, to go in with five fast bowlers in their in their training squad. Obviously, Zimbabwe, and I'm thinking very quickly off the top of my head, have four. 
if you look at Blessing Muzarabani, Richard Ngarava, and then the two swing bowlers in Donald Tiripanu and uh, Victor Nyauchi. Oh, gosh, I'm so happy that yeah. Victor's, I'm so, so happy that Victor's, well, I mean, he's been in a couple of squads, but I'm really hoping that on this occasion he may get to, he may actually get a test cap. Uh, but but Zimbabwe is still very thin on the fast bowling department. Admittedly, the grounds in, what do we know about the ground in Abu Dhabi? Is it more of a seamers? Is it more spin? Predominantly, those those grounds in that part of the world favor spin, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I mean I would have to I would have to look into it a little more closely. Um, I guess stereotypically we could we we could say that they they do tend to uh, um, favor spin. I think uh, something that is characteristic of test matches in in that part of the world, and I'm not a hundred percent if we can for sure say that this is how it's going to play in Abu Dhabi, but in in that part of the world, often what you see happening is is that these tests will kind of grind on for three or four days and yes. and, and it'll, it'll all be moving very slowly. And then suddenly on day four and five, you know, things happen. The ball starts uh, spinning or seeming or, or going a bit up and down. And these tests can move very, very slowly and then very, very quickly at the end. Um, I suspect that that's probably what we're going to see in the upcoming game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there's no point in even trying to talk about putting together teams and who we think will be in the final 11, because I think there will be a couple of a warm-up game or so to play, and, and anybody is is capable of making that, that final 11. So, Liam, I, unless there's anything else you'd like to add, it's been really good talking to you, and I think it's been a wonderful conversation. We've practically covered everything that can be covered, um, from personal life to cricket, is there anything else that, that you'd like to sort of get off your chest or mention or anything of that nature? I do love always doing that with my guests, you know, because uh, you'll be surprised what they'll tell you at the end of a show without you asking them. Um, well, I, gosh, the time, I must say, has, has, has really flown by. Um, I am someone who's, uh, I, I feel as though I definitely write better than I talk. And I get very nervous when I have to talk to someone in the, in the way we have today. But um, yeah, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to to chat to you. Um, nothing nothing in particular that that I uh, that is that uh, that I feel the need to 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 get off my chest. Um, no, just you know. What about be, be kind, people? Yeah. Be kind out there. Right. What about words of encouragement for for young journalists? Because I know certainly quite a few of them have reached out to you. Um, what would your words, you know? Because I mean, it's a, it's a it's a cutthroat business, and it's very difficult, isn't it? Because uh, at times you think that you put together a masterpiece only for it to be totally rejected. Um, and and there's all sorts of crazy things that happen in the, the business that you and I do. And it can, it can become very disheartening, um, as equally as nice as as it can be. So, would you have any any words of encouragement or of such for the the younger journalists wanting to make their way? Sure, sure. No, and it's, it's, that's a very valid point you bring up. Um, and yeah, from time to time, fairly regularly, actually, I'll, I'll get uh, messages or emails from from young journalists and writers. And I always try as much as help as as, as possible to help um, where and when I can. And my only piece of of advice to anyone who's um, looking to pursue uh, a career in in journalism or in writing um, more generally is that. Um, no matter what happens uh, and no matter what, what challenges and hurdles come your way, 
just keep writing. Just keep writing. And whatever uh, skills you need to build, whatever experiences uh, you need to have to become a better journalist or writer, uh, if I've learned one thing along the way, uh, that's it, that you just need to keep writing and these things will come. Liam Brickhill, it's been an absolute joy and pleasure talking to you, and I sincerely hope that when there is some semblance of normality that we can get together, uh, work as hard as we used to, but then also play just as hard after the games as well. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out to be on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to come on your podcast. And I, like you, long for the day when we can spend a, a long, hot afternoon in the press box and then uh, retire downstairs for a, cool, a few cold ones and a good chat afterwards. And a little bit of lamb on the spit like we did a couple of years ago. Gosh, that was good. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. You've been listening to the Dean at Stunt podcast. We'll be back again pretty soon with another very interesting character. But don't forget that um, you can also uh, subscribe to the Dean at Stunt podcast. You can let your friends and family know. We are available on all the major apps and podcast feeds. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please be kind, stay safe, and goodbye.